0: Good morning, church. When, uh, when my daughter was 13, maybe 14 years old, she went and had a, stayed overnight with a school friend. It was a Saturday night, so they went to... Uh, Sheena went to church with her friend's family you know, there. It was uh, a church in a very, very charismatic denomination, right? So um, when Sheena got home that Sunday evening at the dinner table, Kay and I were kind of curious about, like, well, how'd that go? And she, said, she says, Dad, she said, the pastor, he, he got all red in the face and he got all sweaty and, and he spit and stuff. And I said, well, sweetheart, this is kind of, you know, how, how, how it's done in one of those churches. And she says, no, that was the announcements. <laughs> Thanks, David, for the testimony and the prayer and the announcements. Like, well, all right. Last week, Andrew brought us a, a message out of J- Jeremiah about the glory of God. Those testimonies are all about the glory of God. That's how we, in practical terms, use our vocal cords and the air God gives us to breathe to call attention to His glory. Thank you, David, for the testimony. Thank you. And and Lord, be glorified. Hallelujah. We're so glad for that outcome with Owen. I'm glad that we get to pray for people who are in a much different situation than we are. And we know that, that God doesn't see the lines. He's not bothered by the boundaries and He's not bothered by the miles. Glory, glory, glory to God. He is forever and ever glorious. We, we operate in time, you know. Uh, Something else we learned last week, God is outside of time. We are in time. So we're dealing with this thing called time. And it occurred to me to ask you all, because we have such a wide range of ages in this room, when were the good old days for you? When were those good old days? Yeah. Well, I thought about it earlier this week, and for some goofy reason, the year 1972 popped mind. mind. Uh, well, okay, why 1972? Well, how about the uh, LS6 Chevelle SS? That would do it. What do you think, Scott? Uh-huh. All right. Carly Simon? Yeah, absolutely. We had the coolest cars, we had the best music, 1972. You're right, and then I remember like, oh man, I was 12 years old in 1972, which means middle school. Nope, those couldn't have been the good old days. No way. Not not from my perspective, for sure. But, you know, we're in this uh, two-year through-the-Bible reading plan. We've been getting a whole bunch of history of our people, actually. You know, Uh God... Looked at Abraham and said, I choose you. And there's been this lineage. Galatians 3.29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. All this stuff we've been reading in the history sections of our Bibles, that's us. That's where we came from. Have you noticed there's another column in that reading plan? (laughs) And it'll have Psalms, Proverbs, you know, the, the, the poetry and wisdom books. And we read those in parallel with, with some of the history. And even when we get into the Gospels and New Testament, we'll be doing that again. Well, we haven't abandoned Jeremiah. The, uh, I was looking right at you, Jeremiah, when I said that. We haven't abandoned the history section, but we've, got a, we've gotten a pretty good ch- picture of the, the period leading into the captivity from Isaiah. We've gotten an inside, look, inside outlook from Jeremiah. And we've still got the lamentations soon, right, uh, that we're... Uh, the outgrowth, the crying out from that period of Jerusalem falling and then the Babylonians taking uh, our ancestors into captivity. But I thought right now it might do do us some good to think, well, in Jeremiah's time and the people who were with him along there, what would they say were the good old days? And I think... The Lord has been so genius. He's given us these sections of Psalms to look at because probably the people in Jeremiah's time would have been looking about 400 years previous. You know, Jeremiah's time, like about 600 B.C., that had been looking like in the days of King David, about 400 years before. Ah, those are the good old days. The promised land truly is secure. Our enemies are subdued. And you speak the name of David and nations tremble. So how good were those good old days? Well, let's revisit them through one of the psalms, and we'll try to get actually actually a good picture of it. How good were they or were they not? So if you'll grab a Bible, if you'll open up to about the middle, you'll probably land someplace in the psalms. And we're going to go to number 27. Psalm 27, and that was like Monday of this past week or something like that. I don't have a visual of the reading plan on the back of my eyelids. But Psalm 27 is where we're headed, and it tells a complete, it has a complete cohesive thought, and it seemed, like, seemed to me like the best way to engage this right up front is to read the whole thing. So as we head into God's Word, let's, let's pray. Lord, we offer up in prayer the words you've given us already, and your Word says that the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And so, Lord, we simply come expecting to gain the understanding. I'm praying, Lord, not just for an intellectual ascent, not just a head learning, but, Lord, this would permeate our hearts. The Holy Spirit, you truly would bear witness with the spirit of every believer in this place today. Bear witness. Bear witness. What we're heading into is true. We know that. Holy Spirit, bring us the truth precisely the Father has for us today. May he be glorified in what we understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you got Psalm 27. We're going to go front to back. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Wait for the Lord. There are 150 Psalms in our Bibles, and every one of them tells some some kind of a story. Well, Bible scholars are not agreed totally on what the story is behind Psalm 27, but but we don't have to worry about that because you don't have to be a Bible scholar to get the story that it tells straight up, but we can actually pull from the pages. If the people of Jerusalem in 600 B.C. were thinking about the good old days and they were thinking they were these, they might have been right. But One thing Psalm 27 tells you, especially when you read it straight through, is even if those were the good old days and even if that's when the psalm was written, the good old days didn't just happen. It wasn't just click, it's time for the good old days. No. Enemies were faced and battles were fought. One thing Psalm 27 will teach us, definitely, if we'll just sit still long enough to, to listen to it, is that without adversity, there is no triumph. It takes that. We more often say no pain, no gain. Without adversity, there just, there just is no triumph. You see, there's, there's this funny thing about the human race. Maybe you've noticed it. We only understand success in contrast to failure. We only see, the, see the, the good in contrast to the bad and the ugly. And I, and I know it's kind of an odd thing, but I think the Lord uses that in us, and, and we can cooperate with him to, to see that. A fellow asked me one day, a brother in Christ, he said, he said, John, why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right in the middle of the garden, and then tell Adam, don't eat from that? And I, don't know, I just gave him the, the standard Bible school answer, and it's something like, well, you know, uh, how else would Adam prove his love for God? If there was no option to disobey, then there wouldn't have been an option to obey. Great. I wish I, I, wish I had loved him better than that today, or, or if I had asked the Lord for the wisdom to say the rest of the story. It wasn't for God's benefit that the tree was there. It wasn't even for God's benefit that Adam had a way to prove his love for God. It was for Adam's benefit. He was the one who needed this, this choice to, to, to glorify God and obey him or, or to not, to choose his own, choose his own way. And you know, last week, Andrew was all over the glory of God, his majesty and holiness. Remember the three omnis? You remember the one word that's ascribed to God three times in a row, the only word? Holy, 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 Yes. Well, this thing that's up to our that, that is for our benefit, it has to do with God's holiness. And so first thing I'd ask is, does God need us to declare his holiness and his glory? Would he be diminished if we didn't? Not in the least. The opening verses of Psalm 19 say the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they display knowledge. Tonight's full moon. You know why? Because God said so. That's it. And that moon's going to light up this place. If we don't have a lot of clouds, you know, like, whoa. My, my oldest grandson, when he was very, very young, drives K crazy, or did back then, Austin's 19 now. Wow. But he was like five or six. Papa, can we go up on the roof? It's full moon. We can watch the moon rise. And Kate's like, get off that roof. He's five years old. It's all right, he's got a spotter, I think. Yeah. <laughs> God's not diminished if we don't declare his glory. All of creation's gonna do that anyway. So have you figured out like <laughs> he is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of all praise. And still, he has designed it such that our souls are refreshed when we declare praise to our God. Just the same way as Adam in that garden needed a way to prove his love for God, or in that case, actually not. As he needed that, so we also need this. We need this way to declare God's glory. He's not diminished. And what we really need to know on the way to declaring God's glory is this. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of us have, have gotten it. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we could all do a little bit better. What I hope to learn, all of us learn today, is how to cultivate confidence in the Lord. We are definitely plunked down in this walk around world. We are definitely operating in time. That's so incontrovertibly true and, and unchangeable. We must learn how to cultivate confidence in the Lord, that the promises he's made, that what Jesus has already accomplished on, the, accomplished on the cross means what God says it means. Cultivate this confidence in the Lord. And this is where Psalm 27 is so, so helpful. You see, two stories stories come in base, two basic flavors. Some stories have what's called a what plot? Any writers in the room? Some stories have what's called a what plot, which means you get one event right, in the, right up front, and then you keep turning pages to find out what happens next. And then other stories, they have what's called a how plot. You get all the important stuff, pretty much page one, and then you keep turning pages to find out how that happened. Well, Psalm 27 is a how plot. Okay? So What we get right up front in Psalm 27 is this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David's making this declaration right here. Now, how did that happen? Well, let's unpack the plot. And the first thing we'll do is understand who the players are in this story. So if you look at the, I know the superscriptions are not actually scripture, but this one just says of David, that little note above the psalm. So we have the psalmist who is David. Now, David is singing about God. Soon he, he transitions to singing to God in this song. Uh, so we know we've got David as a player in this story. We know we have God and as a player in this story. Like, who shows up next? Well, that would be right here. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Yeah, those would be the bad guys. And there's no shortage of them. So we got the, the the whole cast. David the Psalmist, we have God, and we have the enemies. The enemies. And they and they are many. Look how David names them over and over. He says, Evildoers, my adversaries and foes, an army encamped against me, my enemies all around me, my enemies again, my adversaries, false witnesses who have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. You know, for a little old 14-verse psalm, the, the enemies get a whole bunch of, bunch of airtime. Like, what's, what's up with that? What's up with that is mostly this. There is this, there's this strange idea that we get introduced to at an early age, probably in our, in our preschool years. But if not, certainly by the first day of kindergarten, we get introduced to the idea that it's possible to get through all of life and never encounter an enemy. Like, oh, gee, if I don't make any enemies, there won't be any. Well, here's what, here's what really happens. If you took two three-year-olds and you put them in one room with one toy, each of them will become the other one's enemy, and it won't take long. And if that one toy was a helium balloon, it'll still become a weapon. Yeah, take my helium balloon, will you? There was this poster that circulated in the 80s. I still remember it. I've got a visual on, on one of them, actually. It was titled, Everything I Needed to Know About Life I Learned in Kindergarten. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> uh-huh. And it had stuff like, um, get your milk and cookies in the afternoon. Don't, take a nap. Uh, don't forget to take a nap and uh, share your crayons and about nine or ten others. And i whoa, that's pretty fluffy. <laughs> that's cool. And if you blow away the fluff, there is still some merit in it. However, <laughs> however, there is this thing that actually happens. And with all due respect to kindergarten teachers, we're going to have to go Bible to get a really good look at reality here. You know, back in the Garden of Eden, that ancient serpent, he took a gamble on what lies at the root of human nature. And he was right. And he uncovered that root in the first two human beings. And he's been poking on that same spot ever since. That same spot. Like, wow. Here's the reality. We can't blame that all on him. Yeah, he's been at it. That's, that's his job. He's a liar and the father of lies. But knowingly, or unknowingly, there are actual people, fellow bearers of the image of God who get recruited into that plan. And it won't do us any good to deny it as fact. And what we do with the fact, that makes all the difference. But it won't do us any good to deny that just as a a fact. So we're gonna have to figure out what it is the Lord would have us to do. So let's take this how plot of Psalm 27 and figure out how this thing happened. How in the world did David write such a a glorious psalm that starts with the the highest praise there is in the whole psalm right up front? Well, (laughs) he didn't spend all his time looking at the enemies. That's how this Psalm 27 came to be. Yes, God breathed out these words. He used all these experiences that David had had. He uses the experiences we all have. The example we have here is: Don't spend all day, all night, all day every day looking at the at the enemies. It, David was a warrior king. David was the one who finally secured. You know, uh, Joshua couldn't pull off the whole job. Uh, the promised land was secured. The warrior king. We find him praying. What would a warrior king pray for? If I hadn't just read Psalm 27 to you, what would you imagine the warrior king would be praying for? Strength? Courage? Skill? Winning military strategies? Those would all be helpful. That's not even close to what he prayed for. Look at verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. To dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. I love the place in the psalm where David transitions from singing about God to where he transitions to singing to God. Verse 7, he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. What he's demonstrating for us here is is a way of living out the life of faith that I'm going to call acknowledge and resolve. Acknowledge and resolve. Acknowledge that there is an enemy. Acknowledge who and or what the enemy is. Take a clear-eyed look at that person, that situation, that illness, that calamity. Understand the realness of it. And then resolve to not engage the enemy on the enemy's terms. But to choose an entirely different tactic. A tactic that, from what I've seen, throws an enemy off balance anyway and camped all around, ready to do battle, ready to come in and cash in and end your story. And what are you doing? You're gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. Imagine the conversation in the enemy camp. What's she doing? I don't know. They don't know what to do. Acknowledge and resolve. Well, so much for the enemies. Let's not spend all of our time looking at at all that. What do we what we really want to know is how to cultivate confidence in the Lord, because that's the that's the means by which we choose this other tactic. We resolve resolve will take you only so far. It has to be rooted in something. There has to be an account that resolve is drawn from. And this cultivating confidence in the Lord that's it, that's it. So David shows us again in in, in Psalm 27. He says. He is my light and my salvation. So he's singing about God. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. He is singing to God. And then he makes one more transition in the psalm. And I love this part. And it's the point where he goes like this. Just like that Autumn. And he looks the reader in the eye. Down through the ages. It's, It's startling. Read through it again. It's startling. It's like you're watching a movie and suddenly the actor looks straight into the camera. You go, whoa, he knows I'm watching. It's that, and it's verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Whoa, that sizzles with confidence. That's that's electrifying. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's not pie in the sky. That's trusting the Lord in the here and now. And he's making this statement. He's looking at it and looking at us. Here it is. And it's all based on this cultivation that he's done. And while David has our attention, he fears, well, I'll just put the mic drop moment right here. And so he goes with verse 14, closes out the psalm with this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is an ESV Bible. It has an exclamation point on the end of that. You all did not look the least bit exclamatory when I, when I recited that verse. You just didn't. I didn't even get a, an amen from the hallelujah course over here. But I'm, I'm not surprised and I'm not trying to throw, 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 throw guilt or shame on you, I just, here's the, here's the reality. We, call us 21st century Westerners or whatever, we don't know what to do with a statement that has the words strong, courage, and weight in the same sentence. It just, it just throws us off. Like, be strong and let your heart take courage and don't let the door hit you in the tail on the way out. You got to get out there and do something. Strong and courage are active in our way of thinking and weight is Passive. And we just can't make the two play together in our manner of thinking. What we need is a better way of thinking where the Lord says, wait and strong and courage. What's the purpose of the waiting? To let your heart take courage. Is that passive? Not in the least. I was with my family in Utah four years ago. We had trailered the dirt bikes out to Colorado and tried to kill ourselves there. That didn't work, so we moved on to Moab. Nearly succeeded there. Uh, that was the day I learned that the desert will kill you if you give it half a chance. Like, wow. Those old westerns, like, water, water. That's real stuff, man. And, and if it isn't parched or, or, or dying of thirst, it's just flat-out gravity. So many places to just fall off stuff. We rode a a, a path called Chicken Corners Road. I got out there and I went, road? What road are you talking about, man? There was a point we ran into a group group in side-by-sides. And that's when I found out that it's called Chicken Corners Road because anything on four wheels wasn't going anymore. You had this, and you had this, and you had way down there. Most of that trail was along the Colorado River. Oh, I wanted so much to just ah. Just pull off the helmet, some of the heavier gear, and jump in. That looks so refreshing. And like every place I saw it, it was 200 feet straight down to the river. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. He has the strength. He has the ability to encourage your heart. Will you participate? Will you plunge into the stream? And be refreshed and encouraged. So I'm not blaming any of us here for not making the rafters ring when I read Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen. I get it. Right? I don't tend to either. Like I said a while back, I don't exalt very well. But I'm hoping to get I'm hoping to get better at it. So we got this thing where we're we're trying to trying to get a better handle on God's glory. I'm so glad that God put it on Andrew's heart last week to spend Every breath he had telling us about the glory of God. This is just, this is like, well, what do we do? How do we respond to that? Lord, please teach us how. Because we're just really not very, very good at it. what we're going to have to get, yes, is a better way of thinking. We're going to have to get, sometimes we say, the broader view. Motivational speakers will say, you need a broader view. You need to see the bigger picture. We need to see the cosmic picture. counting a couple of times I said it in first service, I'll bet you I haven't used that word. I'm 60 years old. I bet you I haven't used that word half a dozen times before today. We've got to get this cosmic view of God's glory. And his enlightening through the Holy Spirit is the only way we're going to get this. If if you're looking for the glory, of of course Psalm 2714 only fizzled. Because most of the time, what we got, we got our noses on the table like this, like we're trying to read the date on an old crusty penny. Like, is that, is that the glory of God? Like, back the heck up. Back up. We've been doing this Bible reading plan for 13 months now. We're a little over halfway through. We've seen so much of the glory of God. We've seen the deliverance of his people out of Egypt. Just, just that. just that. If God decided today to rearrange the stars in heaven so that tonight when we swing around away from the sun, and it's what we call night, we look up in the, in the sky and God has taken these stars and he's, he has spelled out a message. What do you think the message would be? Any suggestions? Sister in first service said, be still and know that I am God. All right. That sounds good. Yeah. Joy likes it. Right? Uh, Another sister here said, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Well, yes, they do. (laughs) You see that message above the full moon tonight. Yep. So that would be a good one too. Looking into scripture and there's so, so, many, so many good messages that could be spelled out in the stars of heaven. How about this? Look, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Could that be a message the Lord would spell out in the stars in the sky tonight? Knowing that here we are, living out this life, living out this life of faith, knowing that, that our that we walk by faith and not by sight? Would that be a helpful message? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith? Could be. I think it's worth doing. And here's, here's why I think it's worth doing. Scripture talks about two Adams. adam not atom right? The first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam was that man of dust whom the Lord God formed and then put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the last Adam is Jesus. All the other Adams in between, like, you're just Adam. (laughs) The first Adam and the last Adam. And remember how I said we only recognize success in contrast to failure? The first Adam failed. The last Adam succeeded, we know that. But here's what I would love for us to get a hold of today. Did you know that the last Adam, Jesus, succeeded at precisely the point the first Adam failed? It wasn't just like this general success. Like, Jesus is better than Adam, you know, the man of dust, like, duh. No, no, no. All that time between the first Adam and the point where the second Adam succeeded, that was on purpose. That was timed to the, to the finest fraction of a second you could possibly imagine. It was exactly right there. Call it the fullness of time. Call it what you want, but he succeeded in precisely the point the first Adam failed, and it had to do with the glory of God. Is God holy? Does that matter? So the first Adam He's in the garden of Eden. He sees the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wants to eat the, of the fruit of that tree. And as soon as there is a second human being on the planet on whom he might cast the blame for him eating the fruit, that's exactly what he does. You can just tell. You can just tell. You can read it, right? It's easy to read it right there and you're thinking, man. So God gives the command, Genesis 2, 18. You know, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. You can just tell. That's exactly the first thing Adam wanted to do, was eat the fruit off of that tree. And that's exactly what he did. You can tell his thought process was, does the glory of God matter? Eh, not so much. Now picture a different garden. Across the creek from the eastern walls of Jerusalem. Going up the hillside to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Picture Jesus in that garden. It has come to exactly this point. And while we're quiet here, I'm going to try to guess at some of the thoughts. Like, oh, but yeah, Jesus was cut from infinitely better cloth than Adam was. Um, you know, Jesus was all God and all men, man, all at the same time. Yeah, I learned that too. It's called hypostatic union. I get it. You might even be thinking like, well, there, there was no chance of Jesus failing. But rather than engage in a debate, either now or in the atrium or by email through the week, on the fallibility or infallibility in those theories, I think I would just point us to Romans eleven thirty four, 34, that says for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? That's the Apostle Paul's way of saying good luck with that. I'm not taking that on, and I don't think you want to either. What we can know, what we do know, and what we must know is what Jesus actually did and what Jesus actually said. I love how Matthew records it in his gospel, chapter 26, verse 39. And going a little farther... He fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, that's the biggest nevertheless in the universe right there. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Yes, absolutely. Uh, You can read through Cobblestone's statement of faith. We thoroughly, 100% believe that Jesus is all man, all God, all at the same time. He was at this point in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was on the cross the next day. In his humanity, he had plans. And skipping the crucifixion probably looked like a really good plan. And yet, or to use the word our Savior used, nevertheless, nevertheless, in his humanity, He subjected those plans to the will of his father. And that's how he declared the glory of God matters. And it matters very, very much. His purposes are pure and perfect. And they will stand. That's how he said it. That's how he said it. And you know the sweetest thing. Here we are um, as, as people in this century... Um, looking back on on that century and, and, and trying our best to kind of look on into eternity and what happens in between. The sweetest thing for us about what Jesus said and what Jesus did is that later on, you know, 41 days later, he didn't ascend into heaven and look back down and go, well, I made it. What's wrong with you losers? Did not. You know what else is sweet? Is he didn't ascend into heaven and go, I made it. There's a hope for you. Try really hard. One of us got here. So maybe, 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 maybe you can too. That's not what he did. What he's been telling us ever since the ascension, through the apostles, through the witness of our people, is Jesus made it, and that's why we can. That's the only why. That's the only way. That was it. It was the only way it could possibly ha- have, ha- he had to. He made it, and that's why, why we can. Rather than look for some other way, let's take him up on that. Take him up on that, that why right there. The, the theologians call it the great exchange. You can, you can sum it up in one verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The letters to the churches say we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is a present reality with a future manifestation that's no less real because the manifestation is in the future. The great exchange. Become the righteousness of God. Now when you remember Jesus saying in Matthew 5, be holy as your father be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, it doesn't. It doesn't sound so like, oh, jump over the moon. No. We might become the righteousness of God. And do you see? We're right back on this subject of the righteousness, holiness, majesty, and splendor of the Lord God Almighty. To be honest, we never left it. Never left it. The 11th chapter of Hebrews is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. Yeah, all just story after story of these Old Testament saints who took it on faith that God would keep his promises. So you get through... Uh, the Hall of Fame of Faith, right in the middle you got this, you have another one of those startling kind of moments, verse 6 in Hebrews 11, where the writer says, for without faith it is impossible to please God. For those who would come to him must first believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. David's not nearly so far off as we thought, is he? So you roll through chapter 11, and the first word in chapter 12 is a therefore. So that corny thing, you got to find out what it's there for. <laughs> Why is it there? Well, it's there to show you who. What the, the next two verses. First of all, what they don't say. They don't say looking to Abraham, and they don't say looking to Samson, and they don't say looking to any of those people who were just described in the Hall of Fame of Faith. This is what it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. not The others, cool examples, great. They're there for a reason. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what was the joy that was set before him? It couldn't have been the cross. You see him in the garden on the night before the cross, and he's in agony. And the cross itself, you read those descriptions in the Gospels, the cross itself was humiliation and shame. And Jesus' particular mission was to take on the sin of the world. Andrew talked about Jeremiah's situation last week, and and it was rough, and I don't think any of us got to worry about... (laughs) My son last Sunday actually quoted that phrase to me. Sounds like a first-world problem to me, Dad. Like, oh, (laughs) you're right. (laughs) The joy that was set before him was what was beyond the cross, what he had known already. You can see through the Gospels how Jesus himself cultivated confidence in the Father. Why did he go off alone so often to pray? Why did he walk into situations that were like, I knew all that, you know? No, he walks right into that, he's cultivating. He's cultivating that confidence. David, a thousand years before, cultivating confidence in the Lord. This is the one we look to and if that was the message in the stars of heaven tonight, I sure hope we'd take the time to crane our necks a little bit and get it. Looking to Jesus, we are are anchored in heaven, believers. We are anchored. Sometimes I think of it as like a a grappling hook. I mess around in water sometimes and I get myself in trouble, you know? Um, I've told my kids, so I will, I will almost certainly die of something totally preventable, right? So don't let the coulda, woulda, shoulda bother you. But there have been times I just think, "Mm, if if I just had something anchored, you know, something I could hold on to, something that was sure and solid and not going to let me down, then I wouldn't mind this turbulence and this, this, this mm, fear so much. This is what we've got looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross, despising, despising its shame because he kept his eyes on the joy that was set before him. And that doesn't mean we got to wait till we get to heaven or the Lord comes back to experience any joy. Remember what verse 13 said, I believe that I shall look upon the glory of the Lord in the land of the living. thing I love to do, right there where it says, I believe that, in that second eye, I, I like putting your all's names right there. I believe that Philip shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe that Bill shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living tugging on that line, tugging against that anchor. Yeah, we will accumulate enemies, there are things here. Why, why would Jesus have told us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and despitefully use us if there were no such people? Acknowledge and resolve and then jump into this thing. Participate in this, in this, this thing, this command that sounds so quirky to us because it has what we think is active and passive mixed but it's not. The, the, the thing that we think is passive is very, very active. So here's the challenge today. David used a little term here at the top of verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord. Did that, did that spark maybe a little New Testament gospel memory in your, ah, I see you, Yes. Picture two sisters living in the same house, one named Martha, one named Mary. Jesus is visiting. And like a boatload of others. Martha's worried about good hospitality. And why would she not? Right? That's done nothing wrong with good hospitality. Ask my wife. Huh. And the other sister named Mary. And while Martha is trying to make this place a place of, of good hospitality, here's Mary, Whew, sitting at the feet of Jesus, just hanging on every word, every syllable, every nuance of expression. And Martha, Martha actually, it's a little bit comical but when you think about it. Martha asked Jesus to kind of like give her a swift kick. You Will know? well, you tell her to get up and help? And now you're remembering that little turn. And Jesus said, one thing is needful. She has chosen the better thing, and it will not be taken away from her. The challenge today is this. read verse four of Psalm 27. And ask yourself, what is the one thing I have asked of the Lord? And and I think now, as in first service, the Spirit's prompting me to say, we will probably drop into, if we even bother to ask ourselves the question, we'll drop into uh, two or three general categories, like, pick one? Really? I got about a million. Well, you can't handle a million. What's the one? Or another category is, is, uh, I hadn't really thought that there could be one. Or why is it important to have one? Well, here in Scripture, it was important. What is the one thing you have asked of the Lord? Ask the Lord to tell you by witness of his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits. You know that, right? He also intercedes for us according to the will of God, Romans 8, 27. Trust the Lord to tell you whether that one thing was worth asking for. Or maybe you want to pick another one of the million that's sufficient. And call the, the worship team up. I guess we're gonna do a, a soft close today. Yeah, there they come. Because God is so glorious, and because his his mercy for us is immeasurable, here's your little preview. We're heading into Lamentations after this. Yeah. No, there's good stuff in Lamentations, like from chapter three. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies Never come to an end. They are new every morning. And we, like David, turning to sing to God, we get to sing to God in that. That last bit from Lamentations 3 is, great is your faithfulness. The Lord has given us a means by which we may measure. Yes, Jesus is all man, all God. He was all man, all God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, hypostatic union. Here's what else we know. Every single one who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who's been purchased by that atonement and made right with God, according to Romans 5, 1, man, I'm not making that stuff up. For every one who is redeemed, you are also indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Welcome to hypostatic union on a really small scale. That's the means. Jesus had plans in his humanity. And they stood in one spot. And then there was the will of the Father. And divinity said something else. For each one of us, we can actually, we can actually say, this is what my humanity wants to do. And the divinity in me, the divinity in me, please don't be afraid to claim that. It's it's Bible, not make-believe. But the divinity in me wants to do something very, very different. I will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. That's how we do it. And will we get it wrong? Uh Uh-huh. We certainly will. A couple things I realize: I'm 60 years old. Jack, was it 83 you turned in February? 82, sorry. You can try pretty much everything else. Why is that waiting not passive? Because of who we're waiting for. You can try everything else but it'll come down to this anyway. Except for the first verse, I love that old country song, I'm not as good as I once was but I'm as good once as I ever was. I tried it twice about three three weeks ago and I'm like, oh wow, that was close. It comes down to that anyway. And I know that's a very pragmatic way of looking at it, but there, there's bound to be at least one more pragmatist in the room besides me. You could ask Jack and You could ask some of the other old saints. Does it come down to that? Yeah, it does. We're walking out this thing, and we're still, we're still living under the consequences of that fall way back in the garden, Right? But we can pray the Lord's words back to him from Psalm 73, like, You guide me by your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My heart and flesh may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Forever yeah we'll get it wrong there are times when the voice of humanity is so wow in my face and in your face too it's kind of like parenting and many other aspects of life sometimes i don't know the right thing to do until about 2 seconds after i did the wrong thing the lord opens up the way to the right thing anyway and that's so cool and he offers that to us as David resolved to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple, so we also may look to Jesus, the the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's not pie in the sky. It's not just a theory. The Lord has given us ways to actually do that with our hearts, our minds, the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirits. So as you head out of here today, I know... Uh, First service, there were so many students back first service. And, and it's kind of a, an odd thing. The first two Sundays of each semester, like the atrium is full of students who haven't seen each other since May. And they're catching up on all kinds of stuff, like what you do over the summer, how you been, like what happened with that thing and that thing. But students, uh, however many you are here and everybody else, as you head out of here today, Along with the things that you do, and you know, we call them a small talk, but it matters. You're engaging a person, right? Along with that, would you maybe, would you maybe be so, I don't know whether to say bold or kind or bold in kindness or kind in boldness. Would you like ask each other, what's the one thing? What is the one thing you've asked of the Lord And if your response to that is, I really don't even know, that's okay, because that's the spark. That's the thing that will be like, okay, I think maybe it's time to figure out what is the one thing, and is it the right thing? Right now, just leave us in a place where I think we're going to worship for a while, and, and I would love to thank the Lord for his faithfulness just right now. And even thank him for what the next thing is, whatever that is in, in, in your life. I'm praying, Lord God Almighty, oh sovereign Lord, the prophets of old, the saints of old, all through the history of our people, that, that calling out has carried such special significance. Oh sovereign Lord, oh Father, I'm glad I just now remember in an elder meeting last Thursday night. My brother David praying Jehoshaphat's prayer. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But our eyes are on you. Oh, sovereign Lord, you are glorious. You are holy, holy, holy Lord. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Lord, receive our lives, receive our praise, and all that we have. We know your purposes are pure, and we know they will stand. Lord, strengthen us to choose your purposes to the glory of your name, and nothing else. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.